This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Diving stop, Seager. Toss on off the first. In time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye, baseball. Straight away, center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for coming back. Gary Hill here. Mariners get a win. They get another series win. Excellent win, too, although it came with a cost, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Tom Glavin, Aaron Goldsmith, a chance to sit down with the Hall of Famer. That will come up. Rick Riz with Emilio Pagan. That will happen later on in the podcast as well. So a jammed full one. This was, wow, a lot to talk about this ball game. The series even at one apiece heading into game three of this series. Atlanta jumps on the M's early. Erasmo Ramirez getting the start for the Mariners. On his last two coming into this one, coughs up a couple in the first inning. The Mariners, though, they reply with two in the top of the first, so the, or two at the top of the second, rather. So they're able to tie things up. And Ramirez, I mean, you have to say it this way, he helped his own cause. Here is the pitch on the way, swinging a ground ball, first baseline, fair ball, past the diving, Freddie Freeman down the right field line, Hanniger running third. He will score up with the ball, Marquecas, the throw will go into second, and the pitcher, Erasmo Ramirez with an RBI single with two outs. Yes, indeed, helps out his own cause. Hanniger scores on the play, and the Mariners tie the game at 2-2, and you should see the smile on the face of Erasmo Ramirez over there at first base with a base hit and a run batted in. How about that? He couldn't have been happier about it, for good reason. His first major league hit drives in a run, and as it turned out, it would not be his only hit of the ball game. The pitch, Erasmo swinging a ground ball, base in in the right field. Over to third is Zunino, who'll be stopped there. The throw in on a hop to the catcher from Marquecas in right field, and Erasmo Ramirez with a solid base hit into right field. The Mariners have the bases loaded. How about that? Erasmo Ramirez with his second base hit of the night in his third at bat, and he's tied a Mariner club record with two hits by a pitcher. Yeah, that hasn't happened very often in Mariners history. So not only a little Mariners history, some baseball history as well. Robinson Cano, another double tying Babe Ruth. 
On the way to Robbie. Here she comes. Knuckle ball, swing, and a fly ball to left field. Back of the ball toward the corner. His camp can't get to it. It's over his head. This one will roll all the way to the wall. And in its second, with a double, goes Robinson Cano. Career double number 506. And Robbie Cano has just tied the Bambino Babe Ruth for 57th place on the doubles list. And when you put your name alongside a guy like Babe Ruth, you are on your way to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, no question about that. He just continues to pass one Hall of Famer after another on the all-time doubles list. He would pick up another one in the third, but this was not a sight Mariners fans wanted to see. Here's the pitch. He swings and lines it inside the bag at third base. A fair ball. It hits off the short retaining wall, bordering left field. Alonzo chugging first to third. Cano gallops into second base. Throttles it down. He's two for two tonight. His second double. And Robinson Cano has now passed the babe here in Atlanta. Career double number 507 for Robinson Cano. And there's something wrong with Robbie. Robbie pulled something. He was wobbling going into second base with that double. Here comes trainer Rob Nodine out of the dugout. And that is a yeah, that's not what you want to see at all. So we'll know more about that today, off day today. So we'll know more when we talk in the podcast tomorrow. Well, hopefully we'll know more about the situation. Heredia got nailed with a pitch, too. He had to leave. So ended up being a victory for the M's, but a costly one. It ended up a back-and-forth ball game as Atlanta puts two on the board in the seventh. So the Mariners actually trailing by one going into the eighth. Jim Johnson comes on, who's been the closer for a lot of the year for Atlanta. But the Mariners jump all over him in the eighth inning as they really go to work. Segura leads things off with a double. Alonzo walks. And then Motter comes up. He's the one that replaced Robinson Cano in the lineup, and he comes up with a huge, huge hit in this ballgame. Driving in, and then Kyle Seeger lands the big blow in this ballgame. 1 1 to Seeger. Swing and a fly ball into center field and deep. Going back. Enciarte to the track, to the wall. Leaps up, and this one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. Kyle Seeger with a three run opposite field home run to left center field just beyond the reach of Ender Enciarte. He came mighty close. Seeger with his 19th home run of the season. Three more runs are in. The Mariners now lead the Braves 9-5. to How about that? And Edwin Diaz, a four-out save, closed it down. The 0-2 to Albee. Swing and a miss for strike three. The ball game is over. How sweet it is. Sugar with his 29th save of the year. The Mariners win it. 9-6 over the Braves here in Atlanta as Edwin Diaz strikes out the side here in the bottom of the ninth. It's a four-out save for Eddie as he got the final out in the bottom of the eighth inning. Yeah, he did it on 12 pitches, 11 of them strikes, three punch-outs, 29 saves. Also got an A-B, he fanned. <laughs> he wasn't as successful as Ramirez, who ended up with two hits in the ball game. Erasmo, another nice start. He goes six. Six hits, three runs earned, three walks, six strikeouts. Mariners will take that start each and every time. 
And you look at Ramirez now, a 2.00 ERA in his last three starts, 18 innings, four earned runs. During that stretch, opponents batting 177 against him. He's hitting 667 in that stretch. So there you go. Nice start for Erasmo and a great win for the Mariners. 9-6, to six, they beat the Braves. This road trip continues to be tremendous for the Mariners. They take another series. They've taken two of three from Atlanta, Tampa, and Baltimore all on this trip. Off day to day, up next, the New York Yankees, and we'll preview that series in the podcast tomorrow, and hopefully we'll have more news on you know, Robinson Cano and Heredia as well. Right now, let's take a listen to Scott's service. You mentioned it. It's a great win, but it does potentially come with a cost. Oh, everybody, you know, really hung in there and chipped in. Uh, we did have a couple guys go down in the game, so you're, you're always concerned about that. You know, Cano's status, he probably be day-to-day. He's got pretty good strength in it. After the, When he came out, they tested it and stuff, so we'll just have to day-to-day with him. And then Heredia, um, he's gotten hit on that forearm a couple times here in the last week or so, so he's real tender there. But, you know, we won't know anything until we get over to New York. Hopefully they're going to be okay. Um, initial signs are they're going to be fine, but, you know, will they be available Friday or not? We just don't know yet. With Cano, did it happen on that double or did it happen earlier in no, the game? No, no, coming out of the box. Uh, he said when he hit the ball down the left field line, he felt it right there. You know, the inning before, we made the nice diving play to get us out of the inning. Uh, but he felt it coming out of the box. Tonight's ball game uh, <laughs> was really driven by our pitcher's offense. Now, <laughs> you know, obviously, uh, Erasmo struggled early, um, kind of getting it going there on the mound. But... You know, he helped himself offensively. We weren't really looking for that uh, out of him tonight, but he got a couple big knocks, kind of kept some rallies going. Um, but the biggest thing was he was able to get through six innings after a couple uh, rough innings early. He settled in, got in a nice rhythm with Zanino, uh, got the changeup going a little bit, which helped, and it was key you know, to kind of keep us there. Uh, obviously, the, uh, the seventh inning got away from us a little bit, the air on the, on the throw, the pickoff, and... You know, but we kept it in check, and we needed to come back offensively. We did. You know, Taylor Motter, huge game, uh, chipping in off the bench. Uh, you know, continue to uh, to get big hits there when we needed them late in the game tonight, and a lot of guys stepped up. I mean, unfortunately, we left like 11 guys on through the first five innings, so you didn't know if that was going to come back and haunt you. But we kept putting pressure on them, and nice win, and, and we win the series. That is the goal, to keep chugging along here and keep winning a series at a time. And with Motter, how challenging is that to have to come in as an injury replacement in that situation and do well? Yeah, if anybody can handle it, it's Taylor. I don't think he gets uh, too excited about any uh, situation. He can play so many different positions on the field. But the key is he had really good at bats. Uh, hit the knuckleballer Dickey and really good at bat against Johnson, you know, for the, the big uh, two-run uh, single there to kind of get us over the top. And, you know, Seeger, huge home run. That was a game that wasn't going to get decided by one run. We needed to get the add-on runs, and Seeger really put a nice swing on the ball and, and got it out of here. He's got the at-bats, I mean, all night, but even against Johnson, who was a guy that, you know, you can grind out a little bit. You, got, you guys did that and made him really work. He really did. You know, he's really good at the bottom of the strike zone. He's got an outstanding sinker. Um, we got the ball up. We didn't chase pitches early in the count, and we got in good counts, and then, you know, we stayed with our approach and our plan. So, uh, uh, great to see scoring nine runs a night where Nelson Cruz really wasn't a part of it. You know, it says a lot for other guys, and, you know, National League Park, we're done with them now, and we'll get back to American League Baseball and get to New York. Can you go with two guys day-to-day with, you know, the way your roster is set up, it would be a little difficult. We'll take it a day at a time, Ryan, and I appreciate what you're saying. Well, we'll see. I think the guys, uh, my initial report that I got when I got in was better than I was anticipating, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. They're going to be okay. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. No doubt about that. Uh, We'll see. We'll see what happens tomorrow. 
for now, let's hear what uh, Taylor Motter had to say. He played a huge role in this game coming in off the bench for Robbie. It's always tough. It's never easy. you got to step into a big league game. Uh, it's the best of the best out there. So, uh, you know, just coming from where I've, I've learned how to slowly adapt myself to the game as we're moving forward. So what have you learned from those opportunities? And you came in and you got the hits and... Well, if we remember, I think the first time it happened, you know, I performed well, and then we had a second time it happened where I kind of hit a brick wall. So hopefully third time's a charm, and hopefully Robbie's not out. Honestly, I hope he's not out too long. Uh, but if he is, then uh, I'm, I feel ready. I feel good in the box, and I want to help this team win a wild card. It looked like, you know, since we've seen you, the approach has been pretty clean at the plate. Do you feel like that, that the work you did down at Tacoma and playing every day has helped you come up here and have success immediately? Yeah, as much as I hated the move when it happened, uh, it seemed to be for the right reasons. Uh, you know, if, if we need me, we're going to need me coming in end of August, September, moving forward. Uh, hoping my versatility can help this team win games. Uh, you know, that's all I've, I've said from day one is I just want to help this team win. And if that's filling in for him for a couple days and, and doing what I did tonight, then I'll be really excited and, and ready to pass the torch to him when he's ready to go. You want to see the bat with Johnson or anything? I know he's got the good sinker. What were you just kind of looking for something up? You know, I was just looking for two-o fastball and, and trying not to look like an idiot. Um, really trying to do what uh, I, the team needed me to do, which was get a guy in and move a guy over and ended up getting both of them in. So, uh Seager, Valencia got to build on that, and, and we had a big inning. And then Erasmo Ramirez, the starter, uh, did it on the mound and at the plate as well. I just tried to just uh, try to remember my old times when you when I was a kid, and everything worked. Even my mom was telling me like, "Hey, remember, just uh, see it, hit it, and no matter where you go, just put in play, and it worked." <laughs> and yeah, just happy that we got the win. We got the comeback, even after a rough start, though. Like the first two innings, it was a back and forward for both teams anyway. Like a uh, couple of room for for the other pitcher, for a couple of room for me. It was a little tough, but uh, I'm glad I, I found out the way to execute pitches better. And they dug out like always uh, when I when I kind of lost those. Uh, Sunino and the pitching coach just came to me and tried to try to find me like the the way to come back to my execution execution part and happy happy for sure that we got the the win and we won the series. Yep, get the win, win the series. Off day tonight. So here's how things look: the Yankees they hold the first wild card. Mariners will take them on for three coming up in the Bronx. First, New York plays tonight. Uh, today, rather, in a day game against Detroit in Detroit. 68-57. and 57. They're three and a half up on the second wild card, which Minnesota holds. They lost last night, 65-61 and 61 now. They do play today. They play the White Sox, so Mariners looking for some help during an off day. Kansas City, they came from behind last night and win in walk-off fashion. They beat Colorado 6-4. to four. They've won three in a row They'll play Colorado again today, day baseball. They're 64-61, and 61, a half game behind Minnesota. The Angels lost the Rangers last night, 7-5. to five. They'll play Texas again tonight. They're a half game back, 65-62. and 62. Then the Mariners, one game back. Again, off today. Yankees coming up this weekend. Texas, two games back. They're 7-3 in their last 10. 
So they beat the Angels last night. Baltimore, three and a half back. That's who the Mariners will take on next after the Yankees. Tampa, four, and then Toronto, five. So that's how things shake out. We'll see what happens today during the off day. And again, we'll preview the Yankees series in the podcast tomorrow. Right now, though, let's hear from Emilio Pagan. Special guest is Mariners pitcher Emilio Pagan. And Emilio, you're doing a heck of a job uh, in relief for this ball club this year. Let's talk about what you do best. That's throwing a baseball. Kid comes up to you, little boy, little girl. Emilio, I want to be a pitcher. What's the best advice you give for a kid who wants to do what you do? I would say the best advice I have is just throw as many strikes as possible. Hitting is very hard, as we all know. And, um, you know, the more strikes you can throw gives you the best chance to be successful. Okay, how do you go about doing that? The best pitch in the world is a well-located fastball here in the big leagues to get somebody out. But in Little League, uh, how, how do you get command of the first ball and fastball, and when did that come around for you? Uh, for me personally, I played a lot of infield coming up, growing up playing through Little League and coaches pitching all that stuff. So for me, I just got on the mound and threw as I would as an infielder. I had pretty good command from throwing from shortstop and third base and all that. So. Um, I try not to think too much. Try to just stay athletic. A lot of times pitchers get the you know their reputation as non-athletes. Pitch, pitching is difficult. Um, so if you can you know stay athletic and just have fun while you're on the mound, um, and just play catch with the catcher, that you know that normally helps. So that's how you find your normal arm slot. I see guys over the top and three quarters and sidearm. Some guys even submarine. For you, it's just a natural way you threw the baseball as a shortstop, and that's your arm slot as a pitcher, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, the, the more you can stay towards your natural, you know, body movements, the better. The, the, you know, being on the mound, being on that elevation does add a little wrinkle to it. Um, so as long as you can stay as close to normal as possible, then that, that gives you the best chance to succeed. Okay, now you get that down. How can you control that fastball to where you want it to be, where you want it to go, especially at the big league level, on the inside corner, on the outside corner? How do you get there? Staying balanced. If you can stay balanced in your mechanics um, all the way through to where you're not pulling off the target too early or, or opening up you know, before you st- start your way down the mound, if you can stay balanced, that gives you the best chance at throwing your fastball where you want it. All right, the age-old question. Visiting with Emilio Pagan here in Rick's Tips, throwing a curveball. <laughs> you know, I'm watching the League, Little League World Series. I'm seeing these 12-year-old kids, and some have a pretty good curveball. and wonder, okay, what's going to happen with these kids when they get older? When did you start throwing a curveball, and when should a kid start throwing a curveball? I know it's different for a lot of kids. Yeah, I would say it's all relative to you know to how you mature and at what age you mature. Obviously, the bigger the kid, you know, probably the earlier he can start throwing the curveball. For me, I always threw what my dad called the football change. I just grabbed the baseball like a football, really? and threw it like a quarterback does. Threw, you know, hands on the or fingers on the side of the ball, and that kind of got the downward movement to it because I matured late. So I didn't start throwing a true curveball till like my senior year of high school. It's different for everybody. I would say if you feel any kind of pain in your arm, stop throwing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not worth it. You can, you can get by with fastball change up for a long, long time. What's the best part of your job right now, Emilio? Getting to be around these living legends and Robinson Cano, Felix Hernandez, <laughs> Nelson Cruz. That's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so, so being around those guys, you know, guys that I grew up, loving to watch play the game and just the way they went about their business it's awesome to see them on a daily basis and to be able to take it in and be a part of it gotta ask you a couple of nights ago nelson cruz hit a ball way out to left field longest home run ever hit here at tropicana field what was it like for you to see that ball travel as far as it did very impressive you know kind of scary to think a human being can hit a baseball that far i know mlb 
you know, they said it was 482 feet, but it looked like it went about 1,000 uh, here in person. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, he's a living legend to me and to a lot of kids that got to gr- watch him grow up play. So it was pretty awesome. All right, let's get back to pitching. Visited with Emilio Pagan. Before the ball game, you've got you have four days off before your next start. What happens during those four days as you get ready for your next or parent? You well, as far as a reliever goes, you're going to appear at the next game of the day after that. How do you get ready for being a reliever? A starter has to you know has those four days off the luxury of doing that. Yeah, I, um, being a reliever, I would say the main thing is just taking taking care of your body the right way. You know, eating the right foods, doing the right you know conditioning treatment in between in between outings. You know, not being stupid off the field, getting your rest, getting your sleep. The, the main thing is just staying in that in your same routine. Find out what works for you and stick to it. Were you always, uh, obviously you were a starter. You started a lot of ball games. When did you become a reliever? Uh, I started, I became a reliever in, in my junior year of college. Um, that's when I started closing, um, and I was kind of a one-inning guy from then on out. Um, started a lot in high school, um, my junior and senior year. I didn't really start pitching until my junior year of high school. And, and even in college, I didn't throw very many bullpens. I just, you know, kind of worked at third base and then pitched when they needed me to. But, yeah, I w- like I said, you know, if, if you can stay athletic and trust what works for you, then that gives you the best chance. All right, final question. Best advice for the kids listening right now about pitching, what would it be? Have fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, baseball is a very difficult game, uh, and we're all lucky to be able to play it. And it. You know, it keeps us like a kid for as long as we can. So have, have a lot of fun, enjoy it. Um, you're going to have your good days, you're going to have your bad days, but if you can stay the same person um, every time and just remind yourself that it is a game, then that, you know, enjoy it. Great advice for the kids. Emilio, thanks a lot for the visit. All right, thanks for having me on. Our special guest, Emilio Pagan, here on Rick's Tips. And now Aaron Goldsmith with the Hall of Famer, Tom Glavin. Tom, it's terrific to run into you here at SunTrust Park in Atlanta. Your, your broadcasting career is well underway. What are things like for you with a microphone on instead of a glove? Uh, it's different. Um, it's been fun, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where um, I think up here the game looks slower. Really? Uh, looks Things look a little bit more obvious sometimes, and I have to remind myself that it was not an easy game. Um, you know, but I think it's funny. I feel like sometimes up here, particularly from a pitcher's perspective, I can watch pitchers, I can watch hitters, I can watch sequences of pitches, and, and it's so apparent to me what the next pitch should be, um, whereas there are times on when you're on the mound and you're going through that very same process, things don't seem quite as apparent when you're down there, and it probably has a lot to do with the consequence aspect of things when you're down on the field. <laughs> You bring up something that you were known to be a master of, and that is pitch sequencing. Can you explain to us how you discovered that skill set of yours? Uh, it was a learned process. I mean, when I came up here, I was like a lot of guys. Um, you know, I had decent stuff, didn't have great command. Um, probably really didn't know how to pitch. You know, relied a lot, obviously, on catchers and what they were trying to do and, and games that they were calling. And, um, you know, along the way, just kind of try to pay attention to what they were trying to do uh, what things worked, what didn't work, um, you know, and, and just kind of learn some of that stuff. And, and I think for me, even more so after after my first full year in the big leagues when I lost 17 games, uh, it was apparent to me I needed to throw more strikes. I had to have better command, and that's what I worked on that winter. I went home and I, I eliminated pieces of my delivery. I worked almost exclusively on fastball command. Um, and came back the next year and had a good year. And then my third year, I kind of struggled again. And it was, you know, that inconsistency that a lot of young guys have. And I was no different. Um, 
And I think for me, it, it from that point on, in 91, I kind of had that breakthrough year, 120 games. Um, and it was a lot of it was because I, I finally discovered and I guess um, perfected, so to speak, my changeup. Became a much bigger weapon for me, and it enabled me to win games that I was not very good in, that I could still kind of hold together. But that was the pitch, I think, that really took off for me and really started getting me to understand how to push myself and sequence pitches. Um, and, and it was really sequencing on both sides of the plate. I think, um, you know, for a long time, until I really had that pitch, I, I really didn't have the concept of of, of sequencing and changing speeds on, on one side of the plate. Once I kind of got that, I started challenging myself to do it on both sides of the plate and, and then just became one of those things you get more comfortable with and understand more. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Tom, there's a famous story of how you discovered that changeup that came in the outfield of a spring training game or before a spring training game back in 1989. Can you tell us the story? Yeah, up until that point in time, I was throwing the typical circle change, and it was it was inconsistent for me. There were times where I'd throw it really good. There were times where I'd throw it too hard, and because of that, you know, I didn't have the confidence in it. So there would be times where, I'd, like I say, I'd throw it good, other times where I'd slow everything down to try and, and change the speed, and, and obviously it's not an effective pitch when you do that. So one day, yeah, I was out in the outfield uh, before the game in spring training and, and shagging, and the ball rolled to me, and I went to pick it up with my bare hand. And, it, and it, when I picked it up, it kind of settled on my middle finger and my ring finger. And I thought, man, this feels pretty good. Um, and it felt comfortable. And, and fortunately, um, I had a side session the next day, and I said, I'm going to try this. And right away when I threw it in the bullpen, it was good. It was, it, And I say good. It wasn't like I could command it. But – it, it gave me that confidence that right away that, man, I can throw this pitch with arm speed. I can throw it like my fastball, and it's just not coming out. So I don't have to do any manipulating on the speed. It's just it's there. Now it was just a matter of through the spring training process trying to find the command and, and get comfortable with it, which um, I obviously did eventually. And, and, you know, like I say, in 91, that was uh, I got to that point where I could really command it, and it was a pitch that I could rely on. You were a part of one of the greatest Hall of Fame classes in the history of baseball back in 2014. Frank Thomas, Joe Torre, Tony La Russa, and of course, the two most meaningful men in your lives, your baseball life, Greg Maddox, and your former manager, Bobby Cox. What is your most vivid memory of that day? You know, I mean, I think once you get past the, oh my God, is this really happening aspect of it, um, it it's, you know, it, it's, I guess, just the... The um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess it's probably not the right word, but the eternity of it. I mean, you're you're in you're forever in baseball in, in baseball's eternity. So, um, you know, it's it's such a great honor, obviously. But for me, like you said, it was a great class to go in with. But to have the opportunity to go in with with two guys and Greg and Bobby that were so meaningful in my career, that were so so much a part of um, the things that I experienced as a player. Uh, the things that helped me get to Cooperstown, obviously, uh, to be able to do that and go in with those two guys, uh, you know, it it made it that much more special that you had, uh, like I said, guys that uh, you shared a lot of your your ups and downs with, mostly ups, um, and that you're forever going to be uh, immortalized in Cooperstown with those guys. And then it was great that Smoltzy came the year after. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. See you later! Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 